Welcome back, AAP subscribers and Action Alerts Plus or AAP podcast listeners. Chris Versace here. And folks, we are ticking down towards the end of 2023. We're coming off a very pronounced market rally that kicked off uh, right around October 27th and, and persisted through the 1st of December. But again, we've only got so much time left and just one, two, maybe even three podcasts left in the year. Um, you know, next week we're going to have on December 13th, our December members only call and probably one more podcast after that. So what we want to do today is visit with one of our oldest friends at AAP, someone I've worked with for many, many years to get his take on things. You know him from all his charts that he shares and from seeing him on the rundown on some Fridays here and there. We're welcoming back, that's right, Bob Lang to the podcast. Roberto, welcome back. Great to be with you, Chris. You know, you said old friend, you know, old, old is a uh... Is a is a word that we talk about. Oh, I'm, I'm sorry, time. Bob. Sorry, sorry. I'm long not that time, old. Long time friend. That's better, Chris. Thank you very much. So uh, I I wasn't uh, hinting that you're an old man, even though we both know you're older than me. Well, just barely older, older than you. But uh, <laughs> hey, um, hey, nuclear also, bombs, also, horseshoes, every inch counts. And you're also better looking than me, so that so you have that you have that going for you. So oh, you're buttering me up, Bob. Okay, all right. Well, let <laughs> let's get to it because you know a lot has happened since you've been on um, last. You know, we we've talked with uh, mutual friend Jay Woods on our last episode of the podcast. He was saying that this rally that we've seen that I just alluded to has really been textbook like in nature. He was saying that, boy, we could very well use, and I think his words were a period of digestion um, in the market to kind of let it assimilate those gains. But there are other folks, uh, including some on the larger AAP team, that think that mm, we could be due for a little bit of a pullback here. So I wanted to get your sense, Mark, uh, Bob, is the market rally kind of starting to stall out? Do you think we have some downside? Um, I'm not sure about a whole bunch of downside, Chris. Here, here listen, here's the thing, is that as the stock market started to take off from the end of October, and we moved up well more than 10% off those lows from the late part of October, um, it, we moved up really super fast. And there are some gaps down below that need to get filled or wide open. But what, what ended up happening, Chris, is that the stock market started taking off way ahead of the moving averages, right? And and usually those moving averages, we know, always act like magnets. They pull the stock, uh, whether it's the stock market or something else we're talking about, they'll pull the stock market back towards those moving averages, whether it's on the upside or the downside. So in other words, if the stock market is below those moving averages, look for those mag those uh, moving averages to act as a magnet to pull the stock back market back up. And for the stock market is above those moving averages, mm -hmm. look for it to pull it back so, so we got way far away, well more than 10% away from those moving averages. So um, it's, it makes sense that either the stock market, if this bull market continues to rage on, is just going to slow down and let those moving averages catch up to the price, or we just or we fall right through those, those moving averages and, and establish a, a, another low, possibly a higher low in, in the chart, and move right back on up. But uh, I think at this point in time, Chris, we're talking about seasonality here. Seasonality is a really important part of the stock market, especially this time of year. And the seasonality trends are generally bullish 
If you look past uh, the backwards of the past 25 to 30 years, we've seen the stock market pretty much go up almost every single time from the end of Thanksgiving to the end of, uh, of December. Now, obviously, there's some outliers there. You know, we have 2008, of course, uh, and 2020 were, were, were outliers. However, um, over the larger, uh, larger picture here, we generally see stocks performing well this time of year. For whatever reason, liquidity is good. Uh, sentiment is good. Feelings are good. You know, um, are positive, and people want to want to buy stocks. So, that's um, you know, we're fighting. If you're if you're if you're bullish and you're waiting for a, a, a pullback, you're fighting that headwind of seasonality, and that's possibly going to uh, not give you an opportunity to get on board. So it sounds like you're you're thinking that one way or another, we're likely to see a, a topic that I know you've talked quite a bit about in the past. You've shared it with AAP members uh, in the last few years as well, but you're thinking that we're likely to see that Santa Claus rally emerge. Yeah, so the Santa Claus rally, let's let's define that here for a minute. And Santa Claus rally is a period of time that generally um, encompasses the last five trading days of the year and the first two of the next of the new year. So it's the seven day period. This was. Uh, this term was first coined by um, uh, uh, Yale Hirsch, who started the Stock Traders Almanac 50, 60 years ago. Um, so I'm, his friend, uh, his son Jeff uh, Hirsch, is a good friend of mine. Also, is a very good friend and golfing buddy of our of our of our colleague Dougie Cass. Um, so, so uh, the the Santa Claus rally period, generally speaking, says that if the bulls fail to call then the bears will come to broad and wall. That's the that's the phrase. But generally speaking, if during that seven day period, if the markets are up, we could look for good things happening starting in January and, and into the end of the year. But if, they, if the markets are weak during that seven day period, look out below because there's going to be some uh, some damage done to the trend. Okay. And we've also noticed a, a few things. You know, folks like to compare um, the impact of the Magnificent Seven, right, and how, what they've done, but not only to the NASDAQ, but the S&P 500. Other folks have been really mindful of the fact that the equal weight S&P 500 hasn't really kept up, but we are starting to see some breadth, but we're also starting to see some life in small caps. So when we were chatting beforehand, you, I, I know you wanted to talk about the S&P 500 versus the Russell 2000. What, what is it that you're noticing? Well, I'm seeing a, a, a large, uh, <clears throat> a broad participation of small cap stocks, and that generally happens when Chris, when interest rates are are, are on the decline. And if you look at the long end of the curve, tens, uh, twenties, and thirties on on bonds, the yields have come down sharply, and that's generally speaking been a been a positive for uh, for the Russell 2000 for the IWM. Throw in the fact that. Uh, at the end of the year, we've also seen more seasonality. It's been very, uh, very positive trends for uh, for small caps at the end of the year for people to get involved in these in these names. Uh, throw that in there, and then the the third thing, the kicker, is the fact that the Russell 2000 has been uh, had been kneecapped earlier this year and really um, underperformed the other indices, the Nasdaq, the S&P 500. And even the Dow Industrials, but now the S and P, uh, the uh, Russell 2000 is really picked up the pace. Last Friday, Chris, unbelievable day, huge volume, huge price surge right through uh, moving averages, closed at the uh, the highs of the session, and this is December 1st. So uh, that when when the Russell 2000, um, a uh, an index of 2,000 stocks starts leading the markets, 
um, look out if you're on the other side of the uh, other side of the tracks because uh, the Russell 2000 is a is a big index and it will have a lot of influence even uh, more so uh, than those uh, magnificent seven you just mentioned. So interesting, right? It, you know, I just to tie it together for the listeners. Um, if yields are falling, it means that these smaller companies that may not be as um, well capitalized, they, they they may not be driving as much cash flow. They might need to borrow more to fund their operations, whether it's to grow their business or um, you know cover some funding needs. Uh, it, what it means as those rates fall is that the terms are less onerous than they have been. And and you're right. I think I looked earlier today, the, the 10-year Treasury yield was around 4.15%. I haven't looked in a little bit, but that's well off the 5% that we saw, you know, uh, seven, eight, nine, ten weeks ago. Now, probably it probably yeah. has more room to go lower as the Fed starts cutting rates. Uh, and we'll we'll talk about that in a second. But I think that's kind of the gist of it. But there was also something, Bob, since you're talking about the recent strength in the Russell, I believe it was Jay Woods who said that the tone of the Russell 2000 in January can help dictate the mar- the coming year for the market. I agree with that. And, uh, you know, Jay, Jay's experience, he's, Jay's a great guy, and he's he's been around the, <clears throat> around the block for a while, and he's seen um, a, a lot of activity um, as the uh, calendar turns from uh, from one year to the next, so we op- do often see that. Wait a uh, minute! Wait a uh, minute! Are you calling him old? No, of course not. No, he's, he's a, a lot he's of. A ex- ex- he's had many experience with the turning of the calendar. What are you talking about? Been on. The, he's been on the floor of the uh, New York Stock Exchange for almost twenty five years. Chris, come on! I mean, give him a. You know, he 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 was there. Uh, he wasn't there when it all got started, but he was. He's been there for uh, a good quarter century. So I, I give him a. Uh, I, I I listen to him and, and pay attention to what he has to say, as you do. As as uh, do as do I. I'm gonna let you continue the thought, but I'm gonna sneak in. Um, your effort to save that was about a B. I'm just gonna tell you that about a B. A B. A B. I have some improvement to do in saving in, in saving myself. So so anyway, so uh, as as we as we start talking about the uh, the beginning of the year, I think Jay is correct, and we could see some uh, some rotation from these large cap names especially the ones that have done really, really well. Um, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm hesitant to call them Magnificent Seven, Chris. I know that seems to be like the the, the latest uh, lingo there. I'm going to call it Fang Plus because, you know, affectionately, I like Fang because I put it together. So, um, so you know, some of these names like Tesla and NVIDIA, um, obviously Alphabet, Amazon, a couple of names that we have in the portfolio of uh, Actualers Plus, have done extremely well this year, and don't forget, people, you know, have to sit there and, and take profits when they can. You know, if they take mm-hmm. the profits off the table, they got to rotate that money somewhere else, right? And if, if interest rates aren't offering them the same sort of return that they could get on 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 equities, if the uh, uh, interest rates are starting to uh, to come down, and then we do have a, a much more friendlier Fed. Uh, coming in in 2024. Well, look, you know, you got to rotate that money out somewhere, and obviously, small caps are a nice target. Let me right, well, let me back you up because I know you pay attention to a number of things that you know are are near and dear to your heart. Some of them are you, you pay more closer attention to than I do, um, and you're always very much on top of the Fed voting group far more than I am, and. 
we we do have some changes coming as we start 2024, don't we? Right. The the cast of characters that were part of the FOMC are going to shift. Powell yeah. will still be there, but what, what what can you tell us, Bob, about the shift? Is it is is the new composition into, as we start 2024 off likely to be more hawkish, more dovish, based on based on past? Well, um, the the, uh, the the new members that are going to be rotating in, Chris, are um, are from uh, Cleveland, uh, Richmond, Atlanta, and San Francisco. So uh, we are going to get a new. Uh, uh, Fed president in Cleveland, uh, Loretta Mester is going to retire in uh, 2024. Um, we have Raphael Bostic, who um, I would I would argue that he is much more on the on the uh, I'm not going to say dovish side, but let's call it less hawkish side of the committee. Then we have the um, Richmond Fred, which is uh, Tom Barkin, who is um, also leaning towards uh, less hawkishness much like uh, Raphael Bostic. And then you've got Mary Daly who comes from San Francisco and she's going to be out there on the uh, voting uh, committee member uh, next year. And she's sort of um, in between. She's a little bit more hawkish than the other two. But uh, but by and large, I think you're going to see um, a, a major shift only if the data is telling them to shift that way. And they've always been very consistent, Chris, and, and we've talked about this many times, I've always been very consistent saying, listen, you know what, we're going to we're going to we'll shift and we'll pivot someday when the data is telling us to do that. And, and well, that's I, well, pretty so, much all you need to so, do. Right. So, you know, in the last several weeks after the last Fed meeting and then, you know, Powell made a couple different presentations, um, his tone appeared to be much more neutral than hawkish earlier in this year. And one of the things that I've been saying is, you know, we want, we really want to listen for when they start to adopt a more dovish tone, right? Because that means that they're going to signal very much in advance what they're going to do. They, they've been very clear with that. They've telegraphed a lot of the moves. Um, I, I think the big mistake has been the market has, you know, and it happens from time to time. It's It is many times over the last, year two years superimposed what it wants the fed to do right on its thinking rather than simply listening to what the fed is saying right they, they've been very clear i think um and, and with that i think that they're going to adopt an incrementally dovish tone then we'll probably look in the fed minutes and see exactly how dovish they really were um and we'll probably have that one or two meetings at least and then we can really start to get a greater sense about the timing for that first rate cut. What do you think about that? I I agree. I agree with that 100% with, uh, with you, Chris. But also, we, we also have to remember about the data. What, what, are the, what is the data that the Fed is looking at? I think one, one of the problems with the market these days is they're looking at the same old stuff over and over and over again and, and thinking that that is going to be the, uh, the flip of the switch that changes the Fed from one uh, position hawkish to be you know, neutral or dovish. Um, so my, my, my point here is this, is that if you looked at today's data, and I don't really think that many, very many people are, are, are looking at it uh, very closely at all. I am. It, the data piece that came out on December uh, 6th was productivity and unit labor costs. And you, you and I talk about this a lot. Mm -hmm. We're talking about this is an important component for GDP. And why is it so important is because when productivity is strong and GDP is strong, it means that 
the growth is being driven by productivity, not necessarily by inflation. Right. Um, I remember 20 something years ago, Chris, that this was one of the one of Alan Greenspan's most favorite indicators. Um, he's at about five or six, but this is probably his most one of his most favorite ones. You like to see strong productivity um, into in an economy that is growing. And uh, so I think Jay Powell sees this. And he he has uh, it's given him a reason or an excuse to be less hawkish, because a, an economy driven by productivity and work and labor and not by inflation means that they can they they have an argument for they can uh, for for reducing interest rates on the on the front end of the curve on the Fed funds rate. That's that's that is an extremely important component here. Now has it just been one quarter? No, we've had three good quarters, Chris, of productivity. In, uh, in in the economy, right? So one is luck, maybe two or three actually establishes a trend, right? So we have a trend here of really strong productivity, lower lower labor costs. We saw that this morning. Um, the, the, he he has reasons to be less hawkish now, and and these are these are really important. I also think though too that. Um, we've had some uh, fits and starts in some of the other in inflation-related data that people have been looking for. You know, we, we've seen progress earlier this year in the core CPI, core PPI, then it bounces back up. But it appears now that we're back on a more sustained path of improvement in the data. Um, you know, we can talk more recently about the decline in oil and gas prices. We can talk about... Um, you know, in the October PPI report, the disinflation that was that was reported in intermediate goods. Um, if we take a look at the November PMI data from S&P Global, the lowest level of input cost inflation in three years, both services and manufacturing. We've got far slower job growth, right? We saw the ADP numbers, right? Everybody was looking for, or the consensus was 130,000 jobs. Um, up from 113 the month before as the UAW kind of comes back into the fold, but we got a surprise number of 103,000, weaker than expected. And I would argue that, you know, as we've seen from time to time, bad news, weaker than expected job growth is good news for what the Fed is likely to do and is likely positive for interest rates and the stock market. No, I, I agree. And, um, when this uh, labor report comes out, we had a good, strong labor report last couple of months, September and October. Um, and the I, I look at things on a three month uh, three month trend, right? And I look at uh, th three month moving averages and so forth. It's important for me to one one data point is not it doesn't signal very much. So um, no, no. You know, if we get the I agree. three if the, the three month moving average is starting to trend down. Um, but not in a huge way. And again, if the economy is getting enough productivity from the people who are actually in the labor force right now, and um, you, you've talked, this is something you, you picked up um, on well over a year ago, Chris, is about all the, the strength and the power from these labor unions and being able to negotiate mm. strong uh, labor contracts for their people. These, we, we saw very few um, strikes. I think we saw one with UPS. We saw a little bit of a, a minor one in terms of length of duration. With the UAW and and some of these other, you know, I think these companies are scared of the power that these these laborers have. But they're they're participating, they're working, they're making more money, and they're product they're productive and and helping uh, drive profits for their companies and drive growth for the uh, for the uh, for the economy. It's it's really the traditional way of how 
of how you grow an economy. Um, so it starts, that's, I, I, I mean, I guess you, for lack of a better word, it starts at the gra uh, grassroots level, which is right there. And, um, you know, even it, it, it seems to be working. So in sticking with what I just mentioned, if we get a weaker than expected November employment report, good thing? Um, I, I, if, unless it's negative, um, yeah, no, I think it's, I think it's good. I think if you're, we're any, anywhere between 30,000 to the low side to, you know, like 150,000, I'm giving you a wide berth there of a, of a range, but, um, I think if we're anywhere, anywhere in that area right there, um, and, and wages, uh, wage increases are, are, are not growing significantly, um, slowly, maybe slowly coming down. I think it's a good report. Uh, now how the market takes it is a completely different different question, right? I, right, don't, I right, don't know how the market right. is going to react to that. But I think for the economy, um, I, I think that something like that is still good. And you know what? They're going to start, if, if we get a number like that, Chris, um, I hate to tell you this, but they're going to start bringing out the old um, soft landing um, message one more time. Oh, that totally agree. I, but, I, but I think you're right, though. You know, what I hear you saying, and it's something that I, 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 I've been thinking about and I've talked about it, is that, you know, the data right now has to walk a tightrope, right? Let's call it the Goldilocks tightrope, right? So that it has to be just right, okay? It can't be too hot because then people will get spooked that all of a sudden the rate cuts they've been thinking about might get pushed off a little bit. If it's too cold, Right. Uh oh. Perhaps the economy is starting to slide. That's a bigger worry. Right now, I'm not saying that's that's going to happen, but these these are the ways we kind of have to game it out. So there's a sweet spot for the for the employment report. There's a sweet spot for other upcoming data that would really give the market a lot more confirmation that we are on this glide path. The Fed, you know, doesn't have to worry about the economy. They can cut rates, take their foot off the brake, um, and things will kind of play out, you know, very nicely. That's the ideal scenario. How dare you put Goldilocks on a tightrope? I mean, she, she, without a net underneath her? Come on, Chris. That's not uh, she, nice. Last time I checked, Goldilocks was pretty well balanced. <laughs> so, so, but let, but let's talk about this though too, because. You know, right now, I think a lot of people are focused on that first rate cut. And after the ADP report for November was weaker than expected, kind of firmed up expectations, at least from the market, that the first rate cut is likely to come at the March meeting. You know, so if you kind of game it out, maybe we get some, you know, slightly more dovish comments at the December meeting, again, subject to the data that we'll get, then they are maybe a little more dovish at the January meeting and maybe March is it, but again, we're, we're going to have to see, but you know, we were chatting again earlier today, Bob, and you shared something to me that I, I find a little hard to believe for a couple different reasons, uh, including the fact that, you know, people are, will will soon be living this, you know, day and night. 2024 is an election year. And typically the Fed doesn't like to do anything too close to the election, lest they be accused of influencing the outcome. So uh, with that as a setup, you mentioned to me that the, the market seems to think that we might get not one, not two, four potential rate cuts next year. Yeah. So in, 
<clears throat> you have to figure out the timing of these things, Chris. And I think you're right about the uh, the Fed wanting to have less influence on the on the election. Um, you can probably pretty much map out the last move they would make would probably be in July of right. next year if they if they were in rate cutting mode. And then after that, it could be in uh, December, the last the the last meeting of the year. So between July and December, there's three there were three rate um, uh, rate policy meetings, uh, September October. October and November, I believe, and uh, so so we could, you know, September, November, and December. So um, so I think that um, yeah, I, I they certainly don't want to have have any influence on that, but they got to be paying attention again. You know, they've been telling us this for a while. We always have to listen to what the Fed is saying right now and that pay attention to what the inflation is telling us because I think regardless of the timing, Chris, I don't think that uh, if inflation is coming down and it's moving towards their goal. I think um, they have to cut interest rate. I just want to go back to something you mentioned recently about um, uh, a few moments ago about disinflation. You brought that brought that term mm -hmm. out. We haven't heard that term for a while. Um, and you know, we, we had discussions recently about uh, gold and we have the GLD, of course, in the uh, in the AAP portfolio. Um, and you were wondering about my, my view on that. And I, I looked back historically, Chris, and I said, showed that um, you know, in previous prior disinflationary periods, gold actually did really well, which kind of shocked me, surprised me a little bit. You know, it's a disinflation, meaning that prices are starting to come down. It's not quite deflation, but inflation, you know, prices are coming down. Gold actually um, performed very, very well to the upside. So um, if we are in that uh, situation right now in disinflationary time period, I do think that, you know, gold is still going to. Um, be a, a, a be an outperformer. It's going to do well, at least historically. That's proved out to be the case. Well, you are the resident gold bug, Bob. So we will continue to check in with you on that. Um, although I, I do know I saw something from uh, AAP team member Carly Gardner as well, who thinks that we're still in somewhat early stages of a longer term move in gold. So you know so, something that we will continue to continue to watch and keep in the portfolio as it makes sense. But back back to these four rate cuts, Bob. Um, you know, let let's say that that's what the market is thinking, and let's say that the Goldilocks narrative plays out. The ten-year Treasury yield, you know, continues to move lower. Um, one of the things that we've learned by reading the quarterly sluice reports is that the market was doing some of the Fed's work for it, right? With tighter credit conditions, rates come down. Um, maybe they uh, loosen a little bit, but you know, given what we're seeing about maybe a slowing economy, I think the uh, current consensus GDP forecast for the current quarter, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, 1.6 to 2.3% down from that 5.2% uh, print we saw for the third quarter. So, you know, still growing, but at a arguably much slower pace, potentially even slower than the first half of the year, which if we think about it kind of makes sense because we've had that big buildup in what the Fed has been doing to slow the economy, right? Right. And and, and, you, and you, you, re, you recall the beginning of the year, Chris, first half of the year, I think we came in at a collectively, first half was a minus 1.9%. For the first half of uh, for GDP this year, 
minus minus one point. I believe it was one one minus one point nine, or maybe it's plus one point nine. I, I it, it, it was, was it was uh, after all the revisions, the first half averaged about two point one. I think you're you're oh, you're you're thinking first half twenty twenty two twenty two. 22, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So, so, so 2%, right? And so, you know, when you throw in that 5% in, in the third quarter, and then we drop down to say, whatever the Fed, uh, the, the Fed regional banks are expecting, um, you know, 2%, dropping from five to two, Chris, is going to feel like a recession. But it's going to feel, it's going to feel painful, right? From dropping from five to two. But it's still going to be growth, and the, and the Fed is going to still see that. It's not having to cut rates to, to stimulate the economy. What are they stimulating for? From two to five? Are they, do they need to, to cut <laughs> rates two, three, four times to stimulate it back to 5%? The last thing the Fed wants to do is reignite inflation. I know there's a lot of people out there who think that the Fed, um, if they do cut rates too much or too quickly uh, next year, is going to reignite inflation, um, which yeah, could be a reason why um, you know gold is, is holding up right now. Could be, could be. But I mean, if you think about it too, you know, a lot of folks are looking for continued, even more improvement in global supply chains, right? And as the economy slows, that would allow even more of an equilibrium, right, with demand as those supply chains continue to catch up. Um, That's right. You know, you know so I, I think there's a number of factors here that, you know, the Fed is going to remain data dependent. They're going to continue to make decisions meeting to meeting. Um, you know, I, I just think that, you know, the, the risk I see is this, if the market is already calling for four rate hikes next year, right. Without even seeing, yeah, without even seeing the data, you know, in the first couple of months of the year, uh, the risk is that it's once again, getting ahead of itself in terms of what it thinks the fed may do. Now, ultimately the data is going to tell us you and I agree on that. But let me bring this all the way back, Bob, right? We said that we had a pronounced market rally, right? We're looking, in your words, for the Santa Claus rally to emerge that would tell us that the market could be either near where we are now, slightly higher, depending on what happens between now and the Santa Claus rally. Again, as you said, last five days of the year plus the first two for the new year. Um, so if we get all that, and the market is potentially overbought at that as we enter the new year, if it gets the sense that those four rate hikes, they may not happen, could that be a, could that be a reason that the market stock starts 2024 off at least sequentially down from where we yeah. were after November, December? Absolutely. And, and you know, the, the higher we go with, with, with the least amount of, of data, that we're that we're that we're presented with, the more frothy the market gets, and the, when when the market gets frothy, you know it becomes a game of musical chairs, and you better have a seat available for you when the music stops. Because if we come down and correct, we've we've had some pretty nasty corrections, Chris, in January, um, January's past. So people feel real good and fat and happy and complacent in uh, in December. Listen, you know complacency right now is certainly being signaled. With volatility, but we haven't even talked about volatility index being at twelve percent right now. So I mean that that is a really low level. People are not paying attention and 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 buying protection right now because they figure, well, there's no way the markets are going to go down. Why do I need to buy protections? Clearly, 
um, of an illogical way of, of, of thinking about things. But you know what? I mean, people are, are want to be bullish and they're going to be bullish. And again, the seasonality stuff that we talked about earlier as well. Um, that's a, that's the sort of thing that um, that that leads to disasters when people aren't paying attention um, to uh, conditions like the, like they are right now. I I agree. I I think that it's always you need to be mindful of seasonality, but you need to be mindful when it begins, when it ends, and somewhere in between where the market might be stalling out. One one more one more thought, Chris. I want to uh, <clears throat> sure share with you before we wrap up here. Um, uh, don't forget next week at the Fed meeting. Uh, after the Fed meeting, we'll be we'll be uh, uh, privy to their projections for uh, the next couple quarters. So December meeting comes out with uh, economic projections, uh, uh, inflation projections, Fed funds, and unemployment. So we get four different uh, mm -hmm, pieces mm -hmm. of data to you know, and and I'm 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 going to be curious to see where where these Fed Fed uh, officials are at with their dot plots with the um, expectations for a GDP, because clearly we've been, we've been tracking this all year, all year long for probably the past 12 months, how poor their forecasting tool has been <laughs> for GDP, right? I mean, I, I think it was just two quarters ago, Chris, they were predicting zero GDP or 0 0.3 on the GDP yeah. for yeah, 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 2023, yeah. uh, right? And we're clearly gonna be well over that. I mean, maybe probably something close to three, three and a quarter percent. Nobody on the committee was 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 within earshot of that number. No, but look, the cynic in me when it comes to that would be, I think the Fed would rather have, from a story perspective, the Fed would rather have the economy be ahead of their projections because um, what happens if it's not? I, 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 people, well, people, people, people freak out. But but are, I mean these these people are experts. Are these are, are they putting out um, conservative guidance or are they using the magic eight ball to try and figure out where they're where where the economy's going? I don't know. Yeah, I, it's you know you do have to wonder. I will say this that for folks who say they pay so close attention to the data, how they get their forecasts, you know, kind of off. Let's just say. Yeah. yeah. You well, know. But, week, but for but for but to be fair. But to be fair to them, there's an art and a science to forecasting. You know that. Yeah, that's right. And, and of course, next week, you know, we've got the uh, very um, uh, uh, interesting um, uh, CPI and uh, inflation mm -hmm. data coming out. And uh, Cleveland, Cleveland Fed now casting, Chris, is predicting a minus 0 0.01, which is about what? Um, for, uh, for which one? For which one? About zero. For 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 the November uh, November month month over month uh, for, minus no, 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 zero point zero CPI though I'm oh, sorry CPI that's right yeah PPI yeah. numbers they don't predict it's just okay. it's a consumer price index yeah I, I'm sorry so yeah so and then and then uh, the year over year numbers Chris are are kind of in line with what we had in October for CPI um, uh, in uh, PCE number also a little bit lower than the last quarter so uh, and the core number. Kind of in line with what we had last quarter as well too but roughly it's a little bit under um under four percent for the core so seems to be trending in the right direction chris but um you know slowly moving down i you know based on what based on the recent data we've seen i wouldn't be surprised if the actual prints for the november cpi come in less than what they're looking for 
Right. And I, and I, I think you alluded to it earlier about, you know, lower oil prices and, and mm-hmm. gas prices and, you know, um, you know, I, I mean, is it is it a coincidence that as we head into uh, um, election season that energy prices are down? Well, I think we've got a long, <laughs> we've 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 uh, we've got a long way to go before we get there. And we yeah. first have to make sure we understand who the two candidates are. Yeah, that's right. a whole nother story, though. <laughs> It's a whole nother story. That's a whole nother podcast, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, Bob, one last question for you before we get out of here. It is the year-end holiday shopping season. Uh, Are you doing the gift buying for your family, friends, and loved ones in-store or online? You know, I I did a little bit of both, Chris, and and mostly online. But I do have to say that um, a couple weeks ago we we made a uh, uh, made a made a, a, a drive over to one of the local shopping centers and I stopped into Williams Sonoma and then Pottery Barn, which happened to be in the same they're 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 part of the same group. Mm-hmm. We happened to be in Williams Sonoma. Boy, do they have some nice merchandise and they got some <laughs> good stuff. And, and you know, I mean, not just not just stuff to eat. Yeah, no, I know, I know, I know. But they've got but, some good. And you know what? Chris, the stores were packed. That store was packed. Okay, that's least. what and that's what I wanted to a, know. Yeah, it was packed with people, not just walking around, but shopping, actually buying stuff. I also saw the same at um, at some of the Gap stores, Chris, at the Gap and Athleta, um, which is a competitor for Lululemon, of course. But uh, you know, I, I mean, I, I I think I think people are out there out there buying stuff. I certainly online. That's the that's been the case, right? And we saw mm-hmm. some record numbers. For um, Black Friday online shopping, Cyber Monday, and then uh, some of these other things. So I, I think people still have money to spend, and you know, I mean, so we can talk about reasons for that, but uh, later on. But I mean, I I, I think it's yeah. going to be a good shopping season overall. So let me let me ask you a question, and then I'll share my experience. When you were in passing by Williams Sonoma Pottery Barn Gap and these other stores, um, did they have big signs in the window? doing discounts or promotional offers or BOGO or whatever? So I was in Williams-Sonoma and I did a lot of my shopping over there. They had one little table, Chris, probably as big as your desk with some stuff that were like 50% off. Um, Your desk isn't very big, but 50% off of things from Thanksgiving. Right. And this was mm-hmm. a week after Thanksgiving. So they're, they're, they're selling stuff, getting rid of stuff, 50 percent off some candles and some um, whatever, um, you know, pancake mix, other things. Um, and, and that was it. it was Everything else was full price. Hmm. Interesting. And, and nothing, nothing discounted yet. So that's and people that's still a, buying. So that's a little different than what I've seen. In my, in my experience, the discount malls. Um, like the ones operated by, you know, Tanger Factory Outlet or Simon Properties has some, you know, packed, utterly packed. Um, And I've shared this with you before, but um, TJX, packed. Marshalls, packed. Um, You know, I mean, like the line just wraps so much so that I, being the impatient person that I am when it comes to this, uh, I almost like threw my arms up and walked out, but you how, know. how about the merchandise? I mean, are you saying pack, packed uh, shelves with merchandise and no, and pa- uh, the stores are packed with people. The shopping carts are packed with stuff. Um, and the line to the checkout is long. 
speaking of long lines, that Costco line, every time I go there, it doesn't matter if it's during the holidays or during the uh, during during the summertime or during the springtime. That that Costco, which is obviously another one of our Action Lose Plus names, is is I mean they're just a powerhouse, Chris. I mean I suspect they're going to have another great holiday season as well, don't you? Oh, I think they will. I mean their their um, November store sales, fantastic, utterly fantastic. Yeah. Um, and, and, and 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 it is. I mean you know it, what's interesting about Costco, and I'm glad you brought it up, is you know a lot of people tend to talk about the merchandise that you can get there, but when you think about the um, packaged foods, the fresh foods and sundries and stuff that they have. I mean, that's a meaningful part of their business. And and what folks tend to forget, I mean, Costco is, what is it? it it's the largest seller of beef in the world. I yeah, mean, it's, it's right. simply, that's simply, cool. you know, amazing. Um, and this is their, this is their time of the year. And, and look, while we're talking about the Fed cutting rates and stuff, we, we do have to recognize that there are a wide number of people still living paycheck to paycheck, people who are undersaved for retirement, uh, and they, they're feeling the pain of uh, continued in inflation. Although things, yes, they're getting better. Gas prices are down. We're starting to see some signs that food prices are starting to um, go down as well. Um, they're, they're still going to be trying to stretch their dollars and Costco's a great place to go, especially since, um, I just saw this today that, uh, 64% of folks are opting to eat at home. Why? To manage their budgets. Yeah, it's cheaper. And don't forget, there's one, one little bogey out there that we haven't, we haven't talked about, um, is that Costco, um, I highly likely after the holidays are over to raise um, member fees. They haven't they haven't pegged a date, but um, the CFO on the last call, Chris said, it's not if it's when. Oh, I, and I totally agree with that. This is like for a lot of people out there, this is the white whale that they've been hunting for for quarters after quarters. And and to its credit, Co Co yeah, Costco didn't want to gouge consumers you know, so soon after the pandemic, they were concerned about inflation and the speed of the economy. And I agree with you. It is a question of when uh, it would be an opportunity for us to revisit our price target, obviously higher because uh, that's going to impact the high margin membership income that they that they get as they continue to expand their footprint and uh, drive renewals. So uh, it would be a very positive catalyst. It's one a lot of folks candidly are waiting for. It's just, you know, when does it happen? Right. And, it, and, and like I said, the CFO came out and very blatant and said, you know, it's not if, it's when. And it's been six years, Chris, since they, six and a half years, actually, since they last raised uh, prices. I want to say it was uh, 2016. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I mean, it, it, uh, it, and usually they've done it on, on average about every five years. Um, and, and people don't blink. You know, what do they raise? Five dollars, ten dollars. But you know, the the membership is so large. Um, they they have a huge. I, I hate to use the term the moat around um, membership, much like Amazon does. And yeah, even Netflix. yeah. Well, the the other thing, since we're talking Costco here to close this out, is um, you know, earlier this week, we started to see some companies announce special dividends. Right. I think heavy truck manufacturer Packard announced a heavy a special dividend uh, for the year. Um, there was another one or two other companies. I think I don't quote don't hold me to this, but I want to say Buckle did, but there or somebody like that. Um, 
but from time to time, Costco does declare a special dividend. So this could be another thing to watch in the next couple of weeks through the end of the year. And, and let's remember, the company in the next week or so is going to report its quarterly results. So it's something to watch for. That's right. And they, uh, I think they, they hit an all-time high that, uh, just uh, within the last few days, Chris, right? I mean, it might, right. might have been Monday. Yeah, I mean, the other day, so. Um, uh, well, I'll get, all right, Bob. Let's, long, let's, long as they have, long as they have that hot dog, Chris, uh, for you, that's all that matters. <laughs> yes, yes, listeners, that is true. When I go to Costco, not every time, but more often than not, I will get the hot dog soda combo, which is, I think, with tax a dollar sixty-five. Um, you know, and I, you know, here's the thing. I don't know what the deal is with that hot dog and the bun, but it, it's just so good. It's so good. Well, if you can stop at, at eating three of them, Chris, that's impressive. Um, in one sitting. I That to me would be something you might do if you're starting to train for the Nathan's hot dog eating contest in the summer. But, you know... <laughs> That that'll give you a long lead time, but we'll we'll check in with you long before then, Bob. Don't worry. Um, all all kidding aside, Bob. Always great to have you on the podcast. Always great to have you share your thoughts, your insights. I appreciate it. I know the members appreciate it. I know the podcast listeners appreciate it as well. And and as I teased at the opening, we've probably got one more podcast given the AAP monthly call um, next week. We'll probably have another podcast and then the week of Christmas. So uh, we will probably be rejoining you, if if you're open to it, Bob, sometime in January. Always love to talk to you, Chris, and talk to the members as well, too. Awesome. All right, Bob. Well, from uh, from me to you, I know we'll talk almost, you know, mo- almost every day. Uh, but uh, formally here, happy holidays, Bob, and Merry Christmas. Thanks, Chris. You too.